There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted, I love this word, sumptuously every day. Please try to make sure you add that in conversation sometime this week. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, to dip the end of his finger in the water and pull my tongue, for I am in anguish and this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in the manner bad things. And now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides, all this between us, all besides all this between us and you, our great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So let me pray. Father God, um, many of your parables are hard to understand and have layer upon layer. Um, but Lord, uh, may we um, dive in to uh, the layers that you have for us tonight. Um, parables can also speak to us individually. Uh, Lord, uh, may this parable speak to our hearts where we are all at as individuals. In your son's name, amen. A Sunday school teacher was telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. She said that Lazarus sat outside the rich man's gate covered with sores and begging for food. And that the rich man passed Lazarus without even seeing him. And when they both died, Lazarus went to heaven. And while the rich man found himself in hell, while the teacher, which the teacher described most, most graphically, Lazarus went to heaven. And, while the, um, and when she had finished, she asked the children, Now, which would you rather be, the rich man or Lazarus? Just think some older woman, curly, white hair. And one little fella, he said, I'd like to be the rich man until I die and then Lazarus afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how we want it all, don't we? We want it all. We want riches in this life and the next. We want comfort. We want satisfaction. We want value. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. In this story, we can approach it from a myriad of different ways. I'm telling you, every commentary I read this week, it was like some different way to approach it. It reveals a lot of the questions about the afterlife. It does touch on some of the things that we covered when we covered Aslan's Country two years ago. Which, if you want to hear that, that's on iTunes too. So if you have questions about heaven. But the parable directly is talking to the rich man, not the poor man. Remember how last week we talked about how knowing your audience is key? If the audience in this parable is a colony of lepers, it's going to be understood very differently than if it is a party of aristocrats, is it not? Because your audience tells a lot about how you are to interpret the parable. And if we go back a few verses from this section, we know that it's the Pharisees, again, that Jesus is talking to in verses 14 and 15. It says this, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. 
for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So this passage is a heart issue. We talked about this in the past with money. Money is never an idol. It is the symptom of the idol. It is the fruit of the idol. You want money because you want prestige, power, control, etc. Those are the idols. Jesus, Jesus even points it out to them. You are those who justify yourselves before men. That's your first fill in the blank. You are those who justify yourself before men. The idol is reputation. That is their focus. Their reputation is their idol. And they're using God for money to achieve it when they should be serving God by using their money. Notice that there. And if their idol is a reputation, here's their problem. Their problem is, is that they don't want to know God. This is your next fill in the blank. The problem is, is that they don't want to know God. They just want to use Him. They just want to use Him. We kind of talked about this the last two weeks in big church while we were covering 1 Samuel. How the Israelites just wanted to use the Ark of the Covenant to take it into battle and say, Ha ha! It's our lucky charm. We got our rabbit's foot. We surely won't die. No. That's not how God works. God is not your cosmic vending machine dispersing wares. So, I'm going to give you, um, if you remember from chapter 15, last week, the three parables of the lost. These are the same Pharisees who are more concerned about their personal gain than reaching and teaching those without anything. So he was already kind of touched on this. Are you seeking the lost? Are you seeking these people? And from our breakdown of Ezekiel 34 and transformation groups last week, we saw that the leaders in the community of Israel, what they were called to do to the shepherd, they were called to shepherd the people. But instead, just like the people at the time of Ezekiel, they had abandoned their post and substituted it with a gain of power and substance. Now Jesus, the true shepherd, is on the scene to reach those who have been lost due to the negligence of the Pharisees. So let's compare the two men in the parable. Although there won't be much to compare with Lazarus because it doesn't say much about him. Mostly because this parable is about the rich man spoken to a group of rich people. So here's the breakdown tonight. I'm going to give you good Presbyterian fashion. First fill in the blank. It says first, not well, third fill in the blank. First we will compare the uh, life of the rich man and Lazarus. First we will compare the life of the rich man and Lazarus. If you jump down a couple lines in your worksheet, it says second, we will compare the death of the rich man and Lazarus. Second, we will compare the death of the rich man and Lazarus. And third, which is at the very bottom of your sheet, we will compare our life and death to that of the rich man and Lazarus. So let's start with the life of the rich man and Lazarus. It is said that clothes define the man. And I tend to agree. Most people tell you a lot about themselves based on what they wear. They just do. The rich man here is no different. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Think about this. Some of you already know this from history. Purple is the color of royalty. Okay? Um, it is the fashion of the day. To wear purple if you could afford it. Because it placed you among the high class of people. Ooh, he's wearing purple. He must be well off. The ladies would see a guy wearing purple walk into a room. And if he wasn't single, they would be intrigued. Ah, a man wearing purple. Purple and 
fine linen. That's even more rich. Fine linen is essentially the undergarments underneath the purple robe, which had been made in such a way that it was very smooth against the skin. So their undergarments were pearly white and beautiful, and you would see them just kind of like a white undershirt today, poking out from underneath the royal purple. This is the type of man this man is. To wear both, well, that's quite a sign of the times. The man couldn't look more like royalty. But it's not only his clothing that define him, it's what he eats that defines him. Again, my favorite word, he, he who feasted sumptuously mm. every day. That's the type of reaction you should get from that word. Mm. Sumptuously every day. Mm. To feast is a special word left for times of celebration. Remember when we talked about, uh, you have read in the past, the story of the prodigal son. And the son comes home and the father greets him and he says, throw on the fattened calf. That's the feast he's talking about. And for that parable, that was the one time that they threw on the fattened calf and feasted. This man did it every day. (laughs) Every day. The same type of feasting that takes place in the story of prodigal son is the type of feasting that takes place in this man every day. This is the life of the rich man. Lazarus? Not so much. Lazarus didn't wear fine clothing. He wore sores, which made him ceremonially unclean. He stayed at the gate of the rich man as to make, not make his home unclean, hoping that some of the feast would make its way to him, even if it was the scraps that fell to the dogs. But instead of the scraps that fell to the dogs, it was the dogs themselves that would feast upon Lazarus as they licked the pus from his wounds for their own joy and pleasure. It did soothe his pain a little, but it also added all the wonderful infections that come when dogs lick open wounds. So guess what happens when dog licks open wounds over time? He died. He died. He was hungry, life is hard, and he dies. It says the rich man dies too in the exact next sentence. But notice the difference. Lazarus, he just died. Dead. The rich man was buried. And in that culture, to be left for dead and for your body to be simply discarded to become food for the buzzards was a disgrace. One was buried, then one was left to Mother Nature. So I want you to notice two things here. First one's your fill in the blank. Death comes for us all. Death comes for us all. I looked up the statistic earlier this week. It took a lot of digging, but it's still true. Death is the number one killer in the world. A hundred percent of people stop living because of death. You will take your last breath at some point. Just like the rich man and just like the poor man. Because death has no entrance fee. It has no passcode. It does not hide in secret. It simply waits around the next corner because we are not promised tomorrow. Death comes for us all. Two, why is the rich man not named in Lazarus' name? Why is the rich man named and not Lazarus' name? I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I felt it's just, it's weird. So I, I felt like we needed to address kind of the elephant in the room. First, it's assumed that the rich man is not named. 
Because remember, Jesus' audience is a bunch of rich people. So he's telling them a story about a rich person so they can put themselves in the story. Hence why the rich man is not named. But why Lazarus? And I think this one's harder. If you're going to make up a story, okay, why write a story using the same name of a different guy who's going to appear in another three, four chapters and also die? Fact is, I have no idea why he's named Lazarus. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. That of all, that of all the parables, so there's more than one Lazarus. there is more than one Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and he dies, and Jesus raises him in three days, three days in the tomb. But I think it's interesting that of all the parables in the Gospels, all of them, all four Gospels, all the parables, there's only one man who is given a name. And that's this man named Lazarus. Only one of all the stories. Some commentators believe it's because while this is a parable, it's also a true story. That's what some commentators believe. Which means it would have implications for the way that we view the afterlife. Would it not? It would have implications on our interpretation of heaven and hell. It could also have something to do with the name itself. Which means, Lazarus means, God has helped. God has helped. So it could have something to do with that too. I'm giving you all the options. You can come to your own conclusions on this. It's not a salvific issue, but I do think it's interesting. And there's a bunch of different commentators that have different opinions. So the next point, we will compare death of the rich man and Lazarus. So Lazarus is at Abraham's side, carried there by the angels. However, the rich man finds himself in torment. We can see Lazarus a far way off. And the rich man speaks. He says this. Father Abraham, I really wanted to do Grandpa Joe's voice right there. I'm so sorry. Father Abraham. (laughs) George, George, that one. (laughs) Father Abraham, have mercy on me and says, send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in the flame. This is interesting. I didn't catch this the first time. Even in death, even in death, the rich man is still giving orders. He's still presumptuous enough to be like, oh, there's the poor guy. Hey, Father Abraham, get the poor guy to get me some water. Please? He's still giving instructions. He still sees himself as better than Lazarus, even though their physical position would say otherwise. And the story continues. But Father Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus and like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who should pass from here are, to you are not able, and none may cross from there to us. Now, I want you to notice several things. First is, the way is fixed. The way is fixed. Moving back and forth from heaven to hell and back again is an impossibility. You will not take tours of hell when you are in heaven. And likewise, you will not tour the Emerald City when you are in hell. When you are in hell? Yeah, when you are in hell. (laughs) This week we're going to tour heaven where you could have been. (laughs) Two is this. The justice of God. The justice of God. I could say a lot more on this. I almost spent the whole talk on this. But I just want to point this out. The justice of God. I want this to be clear. This is not a commentary on wealth. 
This is not a commentary on wealth, but it is a commentary on the status of the heart. And remember that this is a commentary directed towards the Pharisees. If they continue to focus on their status before others and not before their Lord, this is their doom. This is their doom. They are all me-focused. What is my reputation? How can I make sure it's not tarnished? What people do I need to avoid like the plague? Literally, Lazarus had something like the plague. Okay? What people do I need to avoid? There is justice in God here. Three. And I already mentioned it. The rich man is still convinced people should do as he asks. What's one? The way is fixed. Number three, the rich man is still convinced people should do as he asks. I think that says a lot about the state of, if this is a true interpretation of what hell will be like, I think it is an honest picture of the stubbornness of people who will still be in hell. You know? We don't get to hell and we're like, well, we're not going to sin anymore. We don't deserve any more punishment. Oh, you'll continue sinning. And you'll continue to think, well, I don't deserve this. Someone should get something for me. The story continues. Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, Did you not hear Moses and the prophets? Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Because of the neighboring religions of the day, visits from the dead were common folklore in first century BC culture. Okay? And like the brothers of the rich man, Abraham calls it like it is. Um, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. I think it's interesting with this. We all know what's going to happen to Christ in a few chapters, right? When Luke's writing this, he knows what's going to happen to Christ in a few chapters. I think he's foreshadowing something. Might be a little foreshadowing here. While Abraham is clearly speaking of the visit from a ghost in the afterlife, I wonder if those who would not believe in Jesus, even if he stood right in front of them after the cross, were also taken into account. The same people that today say, well, if I only saw Jesus, then I would become a Christian. If I only saw, you got Christ and the apostles and Moses and the prophets. If you don't, got, if you don't believe them, you probably aren't going to believe it if some apparition stands in front of you. And this is why, why does it take supernatural events to change us? This is our next point. Third, we will compare our life and death to that of the rich man and Lazarus. We are stubborn. I think what frustrates me most about being a parent is that when I'm disciplining my child for being stubborn, which Stephen is on a hot tear of lately, I see a lot more of myself. You know? I think the checkout line, you know, at some store should just have a mirror, you know, check yourself out. And it's just, just see Stephen standing in front of that and I just see my reflection in it. We are so stubborn. Like the child at the opening story. We want comfort and riches in this life and the next. And while the Pharisees are left to put themselves in the place of the rich man, I think we too can put ourselves in the place of the rich man. I think we can easily do that within this story. So where do you see yourself in the story? What reputation idol do you cling to? 
We are like the Pharisees in that we want things our way, and we want people to do things our way. We feast and mess the Lazaruses around us. But Christ does not mess the Lazaruses around us. Christ is the rich man in fine linen who calls those like Lazarus into the feast, who washes our sores, and who wants to know our names like they're the only ones in any parable in the Gospels. Remember how I said at the beginning, oh, how we want it all, don't we? We want riches in this life and the next. We want comfort. We want satisfaction. We want value. We want, we want, we want. You know how I remember I said that? It's not bad to want. It's not a sin to want. We're not called to be Buddhists and lose our desires for anything. The problem is where we place that want, where we place that desire. And when it is in Christ, when our want is in the Lord, middle school boys were going through this on Thursday nights of Bible study, when our want is in the Lord, we get riches in this life and the next. We get comfort in this life. We get satisfaction in this life. We get value in this life. We get what we want when we want Christ. And the riches in this life are found in Him. That's the beauty. So, we're going to head into transformation groups. Plenty of time.